Hi, this is David. When we do these interviews, we like to really focus on the work of our guests, but some of Sherry Chung's television scores get pretty collaborative. And the CD says, for instance, Batwoman by Blake Neely and Sherry Chung, and I managed to pick some of Blake's tracks for that segment. Some Riverdale cues are his, and some are hers, and the Arrowverse cues were often so collaborative that an individual cue might be scored by multiple composers. So, in our show, you're going to hear the music of Sherry, Blake, also Daniel Chan, and Nathaniel Bloom. Now, she listened, and she thought these still illustrated her points really well, so we're going to leave these cues in place, and I'll say which specific cues are whose in the track listing, rather than breaking into the show when they come up. And now for the show! Hello and welcome to another Odyssey interview. I'm Clark, and I'm joined by my co-host David and Yavar. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. We're thrilled to welcome a special guest on the program today. Composer Sherry Chung has written a wide variety of film and television music. Her credits include such popular TV shows as Kung Fu, Batwoman, and Riverdale, as well as films like Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase, The Lost Husband, and the upcoming Happiness for Beginners. Additionally, Sherry serves as governor of the music branch of the Television Academy, and today we're excited to speak with Sherry about a project that is of particular interest to Jerry Goldsmith fans, the new animated series Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Sherry, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to begin by asking you, how did you initially come aboard this project? And what were the initial conversations like in terms of what this show needed musically? Yeah, so I, I've not done animation before in, in this sense. I've done, I, you know, in, in school, I was doing, you know, sort of the, the experimental animation, you know, what a lot of the animation students' thesis projects are doing. So animation in terms, for me, always kind of felt like, oh, this is like a kid's cartoon, Saturday morning cartoons. I kind of really shied away from it. And when, when someone, an, an executive at Warner Brothers Animation approached me about it, um, she just thought, she just knew my music and just thought, hey, you'd really be good, great for this. I thought, well, you know, it is gremlin, so that's something. So, but animated, I don't know. So let me take a look at it. And and I demoed for it. I actually saw one little scene and it was just the cutest, most special thing ever. Just like a minute 30. And I demoed for it and and you know, was lucky enough to to land it and get it. And and it was it was kind of a I realized later it was a it was a dream come true. But the initial conversations were really fantastic because one of the biggest things that they said was, uh, we, we don't want, we want you to lean into all the emotion. We really want somebody who can lean into emotion, who can, who can you know, work in this, in this palette. And actually, not to get ahead of things, but they didn't even really talk, we didn't even talk about palette. We didn't even hmm. really talk creatively. They just said, we really want to bring out the emotion. Yeah. And little did I know that the emotion not only just meant tear jerking, heartfelt emotions, but also, like scary, like scary things, 
terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> there's some really disturbing. <laughs> there's no blood, but there's some really terrifying stuff that happens in the show. Yeah. There should be blood. Yeah, there should be blood. <laughs> there, there were even times in it, and you know, now that it's all out, like, we can talk about it. But there's even times where you know, one of the one like you know, claw comes down, and and her 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 big claw. You know, we don't see the strike, we don't see the contact, but we see like arms and legs flailing. And I said, guys, do you, you want me to pull back on this? Do you want me to like dumb it down? You're not dumb it down, but kind of round the edges a little. And they're like, no, yeah, like, go, go for it, lean right into it. So I was like, well, all right, here we go. So it just it was, yeah, it was really. It was really fulfilling in that way. And if you think about it, well, at least the, the way I thought about it was, this is totally on brand for Amblin. Because Amblin never shied away from all those kinds of emotions. You know, putting kids in these sort of like adult situations where they're experiencing everything from, you know, missing their mommies to like, you know, struggling with guilt and fear and uh, what's the right thing to do and what's what's the, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's very, very on brand for Amblin. So I was very excited to, to continue on with that. Well, you've got a variety of very memorable recurring themes in this score. You've got this wonderfully lyrical theme for the Valley of Jade. And then some darkly carnivalesque music for Gremlin Mayhem. threatening material for Riley Green. Uh, I was wondering, can you kind of walk us through your recurring themes and motifs and what they represent? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, and thank you, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's fun, it's fun to hear other people talk about the things that, that, that I do, because you know, you get to, you just like any of us, we get so close and myopic about a thing that it's really hard to zoom out sometimes and see, oh yeah, that did actually work. So that's really great to hear. Um, obviously, there's there is there's Gizmo's lullaby, which is it's its own separate thing, and again was mainly used just mainly for Gizmo and maybe when the actors were singing it as well. Um, and then there's that sort of friendship theme, which kind of became this journey theme. The and it's when when they're first going on the journey and they they jump on the train, L and Sam jump on the train. More! Wow, your plan worked. Yeah, that's what my plans do. And you get to hear that as they're sneaking onto the train and as they're jumping onto it. And that was kind of what I, you know, used as their journey slash friendship slash, you know, an anchor, like the anchor, like there are times in, there are times in, as we know, in the, in this, in the season where, you know, they kind of lose their way. They have these really low moments. They have that the friendship is breaking up. They're, they're being tested. They're, they're wondering why they're, you know, all the things. And so that was, you know, using those, using that theme in particular, both as something that's adventurous. You 
you know, uh, like after Meng Po's, uh, you know, that, that whole episode, I think it was episode four, they, they leave that, they leave the tea house. Gizmo, what side are you on? Are you okay with being called Giz? Oh, he loves being called Giz. Well, only I can call him Giz, actually. He won't let you call him Giz. We're really good friends now. You know, and it's like, okay, now they're on their way again. And now it's like an all is well theme. So it's kind of being used as that sort of a little jaunty thing. And then when you, when you slow it down, it's, you know, it can be, again, a little bit more questioning, questioning things. And then there's also the time using that same theme in a more adventurous way. So it's, it's like, it's more heroic, I, I think is what I was meaning. At. And then you have the gremlins, the gremlins mayhem, which is just probably one of my favorite favorite things that I that I somehow came up with on the, on the thing. I hate to say it that way, but I guess it, you know. You know, jaunty, you know, just all caution to the wind. So it's just so fun. It's just so circusy. And, and, and just, you know, obnoxious. Just really obnoxious. <laughs> and ridiculous, and I feel like that's probably more what, what my brain sounds like <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis is like. And again, chromatic where it's like you're not even really sure, you know, there's like a, there's an oopop vibe to it. And then, you know, it's just, yeah, kind of ridiculous. And then I, um, gosh, there might have been a couple others I, that you, I forget. Oh yeah, Riley Green, that was really fun. For me, Riley was always, there was something like metallic about him. And I think it was like the green and I thought of like maybe like, I don't know, oxidized iron or metal or something. I don't know what it was, but his name green. Yeah. And then of course the, you see all the green effects around him. They, I think animation, animation wise, they did a lot of, you know, they played a lot with that, with the color itself. Um, but there was something metallic about him. So for me, and even the gremlins, there was always just something scraping and caustic and, and abrasive. Um, where again with Elle and Sam and Gizmo, it's rounded and, and comfortable, you know, and so, um, so yeah, that was kind of like, you know, tonally, instrumentally, you know, musically kind of what I was going for in, in those, in those times, in those moments. And you did uh, an arrangement of the, the gremlin rag for the opening and closing credits. And there's a wonderful uh, percussion sound in there, uh, this kind of sound. I'm wondering if you could tell us what that is. We hear that there and then elsewhere throughout the score. Chinese 
symbols. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Shiny symbols, like the really small ones, and and they're they're probably. I, I feel like they're. I mean, they're just. They're they're also. I mean, gosh, I don't mean this offensively, but I also I find them pretty like obnoxious and pretty <laughs> abrasive. But they're also like a. <laughs> I, I again, I don't mean I don't mean that offensively. I, I'm half Chinese, and I can tell you that <laughs> some of the Chinese opera music has was very difficult you know listening to growing up <laughs> so you know so i can tell you that so but it's but it's it's a calling card i think to some of that music and and that was actually something that z chun the creator of of the of this animated series really actually wanted he specifically wanted like how can we lean into that how can we lean into that like very authentic kind of old school chinese opera chinese you know kind of thing and and, and which was by the way i have to say really refreshing because a lot of times when, when I, a lot of jobs that I'm, that I'm doing or, or projects that I get, they want to lean into an Asian element or an ethnic element, but they say, well, how can we do like a modern twist on it? There's nothing wrong with that. Like Kung Fu, probably. That's a perfect example. And that they wanted to like, we want it to be Asian, but we want it to be accessible by, you know, by let's modern TV standards. Mod, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that, and you know what? That's a good call. But what I love about Gremlins is that it's just, it's just like, no, no, <laughs> we've already got the people, we've already got the franchise, we've already got the audience. Let's, let's, let's really explore, you know, you know, the 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 hard right turns, the, the harder lines of that, and not making it so accessible in, in that way. So that that was that sign that sound right there was specifically what Z really wanted in you know I'm like, all right, let's lean into it. Let's do it. <laughs> but you know, the accessible thing that you said, I mean, here's the thing. This felt very steeped in Chineseness, right? Yes. It's in the music. It's in the setting. It's in the monsters. It's in the lore. It's the it's everything about it. But that's often done in a way which is deliberately culture shocking and disconnecting. You're supposed to feel like this isn't your culture. It's someone else's, and you look at it from afar. This was thoroughly engaging and brought. There was no point where I thought, oh. That must be something that another culture knows about. I'll I'll just have to accept it. it. No, it was completely part of the story, part of the narrative, and especially I think the music is a big part of that. There was it wasn't off putting where it should be on on putting, <laughs> where it should be engaging, and I, I was really impressed with that because I lately very few things like I think of watching The Last Emperor. Well, The Last Emperor feels like after I watch it, I feel like I probably should have read a couple of books before I watched it to know a lot of what was going on because it's just scene after scene after scene that assumes I know some background that I don't. 
didn't have any of that with this. And it's steeped in Chineseness, which I think is just brilliant and wonderful because it turned into art direction and narrative and creativity and beautiful sounds and music. And it was all new, but it wasn't new keep out. It was new come on in. That's cool. So I think the accessibility about it is just beautiful. Yeah. One thing about that too, David, because the I think it's really refreshing and I and I may be going out on a limb here, but I'm just I'm just gonna say it. I do think there's a responsibility in Hollywood mm-hmm. to normalize these things, you know? And it's 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 really interesting. And I just I feel like that's something that, you know, Gremlins is kind of doing. It's just it, it kind of I think to your point is it's like it's it's just normalizing it. Yeah, like accept it. We don't have to explain it. We don't have to like go into great detail and say, Yes, this is this is Chinese. Here we go. Are you ready? You know, it's it's like, no, this is just it's what is. It's 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 just it's normalized. It's not a big not a not a big deal. Yeah. And the other thing I was gonna say was I actually think Again, so I get, I get, I get projects. I get asked on projects a lot to say, well, we, we want a modern approach. We don't really want to be like orchestral because people think that's that's not modern. When actually, it's timeless. Yeah, <laughs> we're all used to hearing it. it is not. It's not out of the box. If what you want to throw a beat on something, you throw drums on something, or you or even just use airhu, or you use something that's ethnic, or you use synth. You're actually stamping some sort of genre or some sort of you know, just it's coming with its own narrative almost, which is there's nothing wrong with that. It's interesting that when you, when you do something orchestral, it's actually timeless and it is accessible to everybody and it yeah. doesn't alienate anybody. It's very interesting in that, in that way. Nobody who watches Star Wars these days says, I really like that movie, but boy, is the music cheesy. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. no one does that. Or Star Trek, the motion picture. Exactly. Right, yeah. I, I listened to some of your other albums on Spotify, and like, uh, and and I enjoyed some of them very much. But w- uh, would you say this is your most kind of traditional orchestral score to date? Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I thought maybe there was something that hadn't made it onto Spotify, perhaps. But um, what sort of brief did you have? I don't know if if Joe Dante was involved in, at all at this point, but from the the showrunners uh, about how orchestral this should be. I mean, I, I think it's smart that it doesn't have as many synthesizers as the original uh, films did because the setting is so um, so different. But was there a brief about how orchestral it should be, how many Chinese instruments should be incorporated, or were those all decisions up to you? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> like, like, like and you sort, of, sort of yes to all of it. So when I, when it was an interesting thing, I will admit that when, I, when I when I was hired for it, I was not aware. I hadn't heard any temp, so I didn't know where they were going with it. And as we know, with Gremlins, it could have been either way. It could have been orchestral. It could have been sort of these 80s synth kind of thing. And so to be honest, I was a little nervous. I mean, I, I will say that the, the, the demo that I did for it, the audition that I did for it was orchestral. Um, but they, I was a little nervous to begin with because I, I thought, gosh, if it's going to be 80s, if they really want 80 synth, I'm really, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting exploration of, of how to do it because I felt that, you know, there's only so much emotion that I felt that I could get, you know, from from that that kind of genre of music um, without at least putting in some of the orchestral. And to be honest, it's not, I have never considered 80 synth my wheelhouse or even synthesizers in general, like a, a, a part of my wheelhouse. Not to, not to say that I wouldn't have, you know, done a deep dive and learned it and, and that kind of thing, but but in, in our conversations and then in listening to what they were, what they were temping the, the, the shows with the, the, the episodes, I was really, I mean, I mean, gosh, it was like everybody from Jerry to John Williams to Alan Silvestri, Dan, Danny Elfman. And I'm like, 
so you guys weren't thinking 86, right? And they were like, no. And I, and I, and I realized too, especially when they'd said, you know, again, the Chinese, uh, you know, 1920. So you mean like we're getting decade specific at this point. Um, and then, and then Chinese. So what, what we did all agree on was that it was, you know, in order to support the emotion in all the ways and, and the action and the adventure, again, not to say that, 80 synth can't handle that kind of thing, but we did agree that orchestral was the way to go and not maybe, you know, and, and they said if you, they were really open to it. To be honest, they were really, really open to any of the ideas that I had, not just the initial ones that I came to the meetings with, but ones as the, as we got into it. As I got into it and, and it sort of develops and you, you sort of figure it out and figure out the tone, they were really open to anything. So one of the Chinese instruments that I used a lot was the erhu, which is like a two-stringed, um, a lot of people a lot of people might refer to as like the Chinese violin. And it hasn't really, wide, in my opinion, emotional range, because sometimes, I mean, I literally have heard this, I've heard the instrument described as like a wailing woman, <laughs> like something that probably doesn't, you know, you would think doesn't, might not sound very good, just something just really, really beautiful and, and lyrical and, and also just sort of otherworldly, you know, like it, to me, it's, it, you almost can't even identify it in, in some cases. Um, so it was really wonderful to, to work with the air player. There was some Chinese percussion, there were Chinese flutes. Um, they weren't always, you know, I, I used them a little bit more in the establishing shots, like a little bit open in the opening for the Valley of Jade. Um, and, and then as the show gets further on, there's just times to bring it back as well. So there were just, so the conversations were, they, they were so incredibly open artistically to to what I wanted to do, but also what I might have landed on in the process. You know, I, I didn't know all the answers at the very beginning. Nobody knew all the answers at the very beginning, but to have, you know, and it was a long process. It was, I think a year and a half that we wow. were on this. I mean, and they, mm -hmm. the animators of course were on it for years before that. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a really great, ex again, a journey that everyone was just really on board to, you know, and really open about. It's a, a little different from a lot of your prior work. I mean, there's, there's, the the um, Asian flavors that that are a little bit in common with kung fu, perhaps, but the the orchestral you know grandeur and and you know thematic sweep to it uh, seems like it's kind of at a new level for you. an opportunity that you haven't had maybe on earlier projects. 100%. This was this project in particular was unexpectedly exactly what you just said. It was it was it was a whole new opportunity to kind of flex. And I don't mean that in a bragging way. I mean that in a in a creative um, journey kind of way, you know, like a whole a whole new opportunity to do that. It's not that common. There's there's a handful of 
as we know, I, I don't even know if this term is used anymore, but sort of A-list composers are a handful of projects that really have those kinds of budgets to, to do something and, and, and really, you know, there's so many stories and projects that, that in my opinion, call upon that kind of muscular writing, but the budgets are not always given. Mm. So oftentimes we composers are having to finagle like a, like a different way, you know, and kind of use our samples, lean heavily on those and maybe use solo instruments. And, you know, just, just a little bit of backstory, most projects that I'm hired on, they usually come with that caveat. Hey, we don't have a large budget, but we really would love to have some live element. How do you navigate around that? And this project was actually no different. When they hired me, it was like, that was kind of the, the you know, one one of the, the, the contingencies, if you will, they were just like, hey, so we don't have this. Is there, what, what can you do? And I said, oh, well, this is oftentimes what I'm required to do. I, I use some samples and I use I, that kind of thing. And then I just use a smaller ensemble to sweeten or maybe write more soloistically, try and add that, add that kind of thing in there. Once I got into it and once I realized what they were, what they were used to hearing. So I mean, you guys probably know temp music. So maybe a lot of your, a lot of your listeners will also understand temp music, but it's that temporary score that's put in there that, you know, everyone sort of gets used to listening to existing music that's already out there. And they were temping with John Williams and Sylvestri and Goldsmith and, and Elfman. And I'm just like, Oh, well, <laughs> guys, <laughs> this is, I don't know that we can do it with this, but, and so amazingly enough, they, they, they were able to come up with budget. They were able to like do the stuff that and we, we did record in Budapest oh, nice. um, for that first season. And it was really fantastic. But, but to, but to your point, hundred percent. This was like a huge opportunity for me. And I, and I will gladly share and expose and just say that, like, I really grew as a composer on this entire project. I really, really grew is that I did, cause we just, we don't have that kind of experience. And frankly, the only way to get that kind of experience is to do it in front of real, real guys, real, real, real people, real musicians and figure out, Oh, that sounded much better in my computer, <laughs> you know? And it's, and that's so you know, just totally to get to get a little bit more in, a little bit more technical. It's that's a, what a lot of composers are ha- how a lot of composers are having to learn these days is in their computers. That is not the real way to do it because it's it, it, it doesn't translate. So I, I've been lucky that I've been able to sort of my career sort of been able to straddle that place where it's like partly in my computer that I'm learning orchestration and partly in a live setting. And this was really furthering that. So it was very, very different than all the other projects that I've gotten. And it was, it was kind of that dream job in that way. And it's not just a matter of uh, budget. It's also kind of the mentality about things, because I, th- I feel like a lot of television scoring, there are some fantastic exceptions and a lot of great TV scoring nowadays. But a lot of TV scoring tends to be more textural in approach. And I think you've had to sometimes do that yourself. But Maybe a lot of creative people or producers don't necessarily want in your face recognizable themes to stick out or make the thing feel old fashioned, but you kind of didn't uh, have that restriction on this project, it feels like. And again, yeah. I don't know if that was Joe Dante's influence or if it was the showrunner or yeah. who had that philosophy. It was probably more. It was probably more Z Chun, who was the creator of this particular prequel. You know, so it was, it was Z, Z, and then his co-showrunner uh, Brandon Hay. Brandon Hay was would, were really pushing, and Michael. It's, it's all all the, the the showrunners and producers and the creator on it were really pushing for that, which I think is really great because I think you're right. I think I think the I think the industry in terms of film scoring goes well, probably in terms of a lot of things, is pretty cyclical. Like, so, so you're right. Like, we go through this whole thing where we're like, nobody wants the melody. Nobody wants to feel anything. We don't want to manipulate the audience, which always really baffled me because, the, you know, I feel like 
filmmakers and audience members, you enter into this unspoken agreement that I would like to be manipulated. Right. I would like to be lied to as an audience member. I would like somebody to take me on a journey and 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 I want the suspension of disbelief. So I never really have, it's been difficult to sort of navigate when people say, we don't want to manipulate the audience. We don't want to tell the audience what to think, you know, and, and but- imagine if, if, uh, if actors got that instruction that composers do like, yeah. don't, don't manipulate <laughs> yeah. the audience or, or, you yeah. know, camera angles. Nope. We, we don't want any fancy camera angles because you'll yeah. manipulate the audience. James Horner has this quote where he says, the music's job is not to make you cry. It's there to allow you to cry. Hundred percent, which is a very different thing, isn't it? Yes, it's very, very much different. If they understood that, you guys would be getting far more open doors than you get currently. I think so, but I and so so like when you're given that direction, you think, okay, what are they? What are they really saying, or what do they really mean, right? Because that, those are obviously their words. If you hear what their words are, but if you listen to what really what they're probably saying, is probably more what what you know, like they, you, 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 like as you know, we've heard that quote, like you, you got to give them what they, what they need, not what they want, right. you know? And it's, so there's, there's a way to, I, I think there's a way to do that. Um, but, but, but back to gremlins in, in particular, this was definitely a case where they were like, no, 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 make us feel it. Make us, make us cry. Make us scared. you know, nostalgic, do, do, do all the things. And, and again, that's why, that's why unexpectedly this became the total dream job that, you know, I might not be, I, 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 I hopefully I'll be fortunate to have many other projects that, you know, allow me to creatively, you know, just do something new. But I feel like this is, this is a, such a special one that hopefully you know, leads to others that, that really allow for that, that really call upon that. And, and, and that's, that's why it's so, it's so amazing to hear that fans are resonating with the music as well. Cause it's just, you know, that's, it's not always welcome. Some people are like, Ooh, no, we don't want something traditional. We want the modern twist on these things. You know, it's like, Oh, not in our circles <laughs> where, where we, where we operate, people are like, Oh my goodness, thank goodness. An actual, an actual thematic, yeah. emotional melody journey, harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, and that is a hundred percent what Z and Brendan had asked for like a hundred percent. That's what we want. We want you to lean into all of that. We want the thematic, we want themes, we want to feel the emotion. You know, we want the full Amblin experience, but we also want to just we we have, we have our own stories coming through, so we have we have that kind of right. thing. So it was just it was great. It was a great experience. There's a there's no other way to put it. There's a lot of music of friendship in it mm-hmm. that which is different from romance. It's different from being happy. It's it's a it's a human warmth, and that is so much throughout. I think it's the basis of your theme for the for the land of jade. But uh, yeah. that was. That's also something that's in Dante's pictures. It's in Small Soldiers and Matinee. There's, he's always got kids who are friends, and Goldsmith always scored that friendship in a really nice, warm way. And I think you've done a lot here, too, because I feel like the entire thing was scored. I'm not sure how much was, but it felt to me like there wasn't a minute that lacked music. 
Yeah. And I feel like in the original films, Gizmo's theme is Jerry Goldsmith's theme for friendship with with Gizmo in that case. But, you know, it's it's a warm theme that's yeah. accompanying the relationship with, with that character. And that's that's, I think, the main theme of Goldsmith's that you made sure to include throughout your your score at uh, key points yeah can you talk about a little bit doing that and also maybe what your relationship was to the original films and scores yeah for sure and I, I I think you're right too I kind of identified you know Gizmo's lullaby which I think is what you know if you look on the soundtracks what what Goldsmith called Gizmo's lullaby and and that was something that that I mean I, I, anyone who watches it can tell like the actors were singing it too <laughs> And they were, so when Gizmo sang it, and when, when all the little Mogwai sang it in the Valley of Jade, and then, you know, later Grandpa sings it. And, and even further along, it's so it's really great about that. So to, to me, that was always an opportunity to use the use the score to sort of accompany what was happening. So kind of where score meets diegetic, I guess, you know, kind of thing. And so right. that was something that, um, you know, that, that's, you know, and then, and then of course from there they stopped seeing it and then the score can kind of keep going a little bit. And then generally kind of, I, I, you know, went away from it a little bit. And that was something that the, that the filmmakers, you know, Z Chun and the, and, and Brennan Hay, you know, they, they all, they all wanted that as well in the sense of we, we do want to pay homage. We do want the Jerry Goldsmith. We do want, Joe Dante, he was a producing, uh, a consulting producer on this project as well. So we, they did want that, but they also wanted to hear. They also wanted to do something that was, you know, new and 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 you know, akin to like what they were what they were doing. Yeah. Which I was, mm-hmm. was obviously my goal. So. Well, the setting's so different, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and of course there was like you know, nineteen twenties Shanghai the whole time, and and so there was a, they wanted a lot of Asian influence, Chinese influence. Um, so there was there was that sort of you know need to kind of pull in those different elements as well. So funny thing about Gremlins, you know, I love to be able to say, oh, this was a full circle experience for me because I was such a fan when I was a kid. Right. But you know, I, I've got to be honest, I, I I found it too scary when I was a kid. <laughs> sure. And so I I asked my mom, I was like, I was like, Ma, why didn't I? Uh, why wasn't I a fan of this? Like, why didn't we watch it all the time? She's like, honestly, we you we saw the you know the poster like when it came out. Or something. I don't to be honest, I don't remember. It came out in eighty four, I think. Eighty four, yeah, the first one. First one was eighty four. I I would have been way too young um to to even like you know to watch a, a movie like that. So later on, when it but still, I was just like, oh, that was way too scary. So I did watch it, of course, in later on in life. I mean, I had watched it before the project and everything, but. Um, I remember just being fascinated with kind of what we just all talked about, which was this, 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 this juxtaposition of it being adorable. and how does it just play those emotions in that way and and musically I thought it was just you know brilliant whatever and I and I had long since been a Jerry Goldsmith fan without really realizing that I was a fan and I think that's what a lot of you know a lot of fans of you know Jerry Goldsmith fans and those types of movies are feeling at least that's what I was experiencing that wow I had no idea that I was a fan of his work 
for all those years because I did I didn't grow up because we all grew up on those on those movies. It's like those are those are the movies that scored my my childhood, you know, and my adolescence as, as well. Do you remember what the first uh, Jerry Goldsmith score you encountered was? Uh, I don't remember the th- that you knew was his, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So I, I probably the burbs. <laughs> like, <laughs> Love it. And when, when he, within that opening, when he incorporates the dog barking. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm dead. I'm like, just stop. Just stop. It's just it's <laughs> too much. It's so great. And just, and you know, that course, that's also that's Joe Dante as well. Right. So that's like, yeah. It, yeah. Oh yeah. That's my actually my favorite Joe Dante. We had a conversation with Joe Dante about that. So if you have a chance, check it out sometime. I think you'd get a kick out of it. Oh, that's oh, I totally will. You know, and actually, Joe Dante actually came to the um, one of the one of the recording sessions um, for Gremlins, and it was and it was like, you know, I I, I, I was tongue tied. I was like, ah, oh, Joe, it's water, you know. And he's like, <laughs> and he and you know, he said he said the most amazing thing to me, which I think any any of us or any composer would certainly, you know, take to heart. He just said he said Jerry Jerry would be proud. Oh, and I was like, awesome. oh my gosh. Oh, that's nice. I know. I was I... And he would know. They they did eight pictures together yeah. and they knew each other really well. And Joe was a soundtrack collector before he was a director. So I mean he was one of us before he was a filmmaker. And so he also knows movie music well enough that yeah, hearing that from Joe, he probably wasn't just buttering you up. He really meant it, I'm sure. I, uh, I I took it very very heartfelt. I, he felt it seemed very sincere and genuine, and 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 everything about my interaction with him was you know as short as it was 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 really fantastic. Were there any particular cues of yours that he liked, or or did he sing, say anything specific about your music? He he did he didn't he actually po- he he tweeted about it, guys. He tweeted about <laughs> it. He said, <laughs> um, he he said uh, again it was actually really nice because he he said something about paying paying homage to Jerry. But also, caring, not just not only carrying it on, but doing doing my own thing to it. Which was yeah. really, which is a really, you know, that's a, that's a that could have gone either way. <laughs> I mean, especially even with fans, like that could have gone either way. I mean, you're you're dealing with some, 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 some real legacy, you know, some real like legend and like you know just some some real some real stuff. So I, I it was it was very cool to get his blessing for. It. And and I won't speak for any of the filmmakers or producers on the show, but you know I can imagine that having having his blessing throughout the their, the animation process and the and all even before it came to to me as the composer i'm sure that was that was a a, a point of pride and you know you, you stand a little straighter i think yeah. you know with that well i think you should i i did grow up on those pictures uh i like i love gremlins and gremlins 2 which is basically a looney tunes movie is a just a stunning delight and i watched this this week and thought I mean, yes, built upon in the best possible way. Uh, you know, there are rules. There's maybe an extra rule, but not not 12 extra rules, just one <laughs> extra rule that's actually pretty cool and works in the plot. And I just thought, bravo. It's it's aimed at younger kids than the two movies were. And that's okay because it's still very much Gremlins. And I think the music, too. I mean, it's so melodic. Melodic. 
emotional. Funny. And those are the things a gremlin score should be. It doesn't have to be an aping of Goldsmith, but boy, it, does it just pick up that cart and add some cars to the end of it in a really nice way. I thought it was lovely. Thank you so much. That's a huge, that's a huge compliment. And, you know, to, to diehard fans that probably are more educated in some ways than the composers, <laughs> than those of us composers who are trying to do it, you know, but I, that means a lot. I appreciate it. And I, I love that this is a little more approachable for kids. I actually watched this with my kids and they freaked out at the beginning when the orb gets eaten and i was like do y'all want to keep watching this or is this too scary and they were like no keep going keep going keep going <laughs> yeah how old are your kids clark eight and five were the two that i watched this wow. with um Bye. yeah and i've been playing the music around the house you know this week and when they hear that because they just watched the show my five-year-old comes in the room the other day and he goes are there a mogwai in here when he hears the music playing because he instantly you know makes that connection but <laughs> but yeah they love awesome. it any nightmares so far? Not yet, mercifully. Although okay, I will say, after we were done with it, uh, my five-year-old Alfred he said, "Next, I want to watch a zero scary show." He he categorizes <laughs> things as zero scary, medium scary, and super scary. And he said this was medium scary. So he said a zero scary show next. That's for me one of my favorite things about the show, and probably one of the ways in which it's most faithful to the original movies is. It's really adorable. Like I, I had to show my wife the first minute and a half before she was sold on watching the show with me, like instantly. Yeah, and I think your music played a part in that. It was just so beautiful, the opening. Yeah. But then there is stuff in this show that is absolutely going to scar children who watch it and <laughs> give them nightmares. Like the when he opens his jaw. I will say no more, but it is the stuff of nightmares <laughs> when the villain <laughs> does they, something. They, they even go to a silhouette of it too. You're just like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. yeah, I was, I was, I was mortified. And then, if, if, if in case we're not giving things away, in these one of the later episodes, what happens with Riley Green and his hands? My right hand may have held more power, but my left can still summon an no hand. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> what is no blood it? though no blood no blood no blood <laughs> it, it, it's like the old uh batman the animated series from the 90s where they know just what lines they can't cross but they mm -hmm. get creative in their ways to work around that and and make you think you saw something that you didn't necessarily see and it's it's pretty traumatic at times i think but it's such such a great show i agree yeah it's a, no it, it's it's a lot of human psychology i mean it's, it, in my opinion it's it's just it's just a really great testament to to storytelling and like the storytelling you know visually and and orally you know what you can hear and what you're seeing not necessarily what i mean but then you then it's like our brains just complete the circuit and and finish the sentences and be like, oh my gosh, that was, that was horrific. Well, and regarding the violence, which, you know, and, and this is something that not just Amblin, but before Amblin, well, I guess Gremlins was Amblin. Yeah. It's also something Joe does. 
And and look back at Raiders of the Lost Ark, which when it came out, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you get to see a face melt. You get to see a head exploded. I'm sorry, kids like that stuff Yeah, <laughs> when it's sort of safe. And the tone of the show, by the time, like, uh, I think the great thing is that 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 open the jaw is in episode one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's at the it's episode two. Is it episode two? Beginning of episode two. Yeah, yeah, with the grand, yeah. and it, and it pretty much that's your limit. Mm-hmm. You know, other stuff is going to happen, like people getting squashed and and gremlins exploding. But if you've gotten past the opening of the jaw, the thing is that you've got a show that's clearly aimed at kids who like fun, gross things. But it's going to pull back from showing. You know, a human being gets stepped on by a giant monster. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we don't see the human being get stepped on, but your music, I think, replaces the blood. And so it has the impact it's supposed to have without actually us seeing human splatter. And I saw that a few times where you're you're enhancing what's on screen and you're also enhancing what's missing. So I don't think kids who watch it and want to see all the gross stuff are going to leave thinking, oh, I didn't get to see the guy explode. I don't think it's going to occur to them because the music is so punchy there. Oh, thank you. That that it's there. No, that's that. that I, I I appreciate hearing that because you know you you we all these creators we all do it in a vacuum. Even the animators and the storytellers, everyone's just doing it in a vacuum. So it's good. It's it, yeah. I, I I hope that no one walks away feeling shortchanged in the, in the scare. <laughs> Jens actually had a question that he wanted to ask if he was here, but he couldn't make it. He wanted to know if there were any traditional Chinese themes or folk tunes that you're drawing from or inspired by at all. He thought maybe the Valley of Jade theme in particular had a a sense of timelessness and familiarity to it, to the point where it felt like it could potentially be a traditional melody. I it not not to my knowledge as in like I didn't intend for it to be so hopefully I haven't sure. plagiarized anything but no I I did um <laughs> no no the the short answer is no I will say for the opera episode which I think was episode three um, when we had odd odd and I there there was a lot of um they they had warned me about this almost in like our very first meeting and they which was not so so I didn't even get to this episode for like four or five months later and they had sort of warned me about it they said hey that we had this whole operatic thing and this guys an opera thing we we really want to like do Chinese opera and I was like oh my gosh you know I'm like and I you know I I know what Chinese opera the traditional Chinese opera sounds like and it's it's um it's I will say it is not what I because it can be rough, can't it? It was difficult. It's difficult to listen to. It's difficult to do, and and I don't think it's this. It's the kind of dramatic support that we could have here. So it's so that it's, that was. It's a different kind of syntax. It's a different kind of yes, a different kind of storytelling entirely. But but so no, I didn't. And even with that, I didn't. Even, I did not use any sort of known. Um, folk or or traditional tunes at all but i did mm. i did check out a lot of the instrumentation and i even checked out um a lot of the the research on just what chinese opera really is and it's ba- and what how it's based on it and, and and certain instruments certain uh groups of instruments are used for certain sections of the storytelling and then th- that kind of thing so i did try to uh, incorporate that and, and adhere, adhere to that as well Again, a lot of it was just when I saw the color and I saw the color, like the what they were doing with the animation, I was just 
super inspired because the animatics, as we all, I think we, a lot of us know, the animatics don't have any color in them, or sometimes they might have a little bit of color here and there, but they, it's just, it's just basically moving storyboards, moving, yeah. you know, sketches kind of thing. And so there was no, but when I got the, the color boards and the color and the mood boards and that kind of thing, I was really able to start to, to expand on that. So that, that's amazing to hear that it resonated. It's, and, and, and I love that. I love, I love hearing that it, it feels like it fits into, again, the Chinese culture and also the culture of gremlins and, and the history of that too. That's, that's, that's more those 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 positive reactions are kind of more than I than I think I even realized at the time that I was going for you know because I didn't even know if you know you just when you start that thing you don't you just don't know what it's going to become or what the scope is so you just kind of feel it in the moment and just trust your instincts and hope it works out. <laughs> Were there any episodes or scenes over the course of the show that presented? Uh particularly challenging musical problems for you to solve there were there were a couple that uh well one there was again there was that whole temp thing of like you know that kind of really threw me for a loop yeah. but there was uh, but again that was that was only me emotionally like out of out of all respect it's you know but but i also learned real i also learned early on too that they they uh, miraculously they were not temp lovers they they did not fall in love mm. with their temp they didn't they didn't say gosh you know the temp really that's great did oh yeah i mean and and, and they should have because <laughs> their temp was amazing um but there there were a couple of instances where i don't want to expose too much but where gizmo's lullaby was being sung by the actors you know, doo, 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 doo. and there were a couple of places where it didn't quite land you know where where maybe it, it, and so they they were and they knew that and they said well we, we didn't quite land this or it, it wasn't quite quite there um is there any way that you can help that along and really convince us that this is indeed gizmo's lullaby um and I think that I think that musically it became a matter of, you know, when especially when keys didn't always match, you know, when maybe a, a melody is started here but it sort of ends in a different place. So how do you kind of, yeah, how do you how do you, is it yes and it's a constant yes and right? Like how do you say okay yes mm. the actor is starting with that that song and that tune that we all know that you do not want to get wrong. And then, and then you have to finish it in a clarinet, in a flute, and in the rest of the orchestration, and just make that convincing, and maybe even just mix it a little hotter, you know, just to kind of to, to make sure that we all, you know, we, we took flight and that the landing actually sticks. There was a different one. I think it was in episode nine where they were in the um, the lounge, the the lounge, and there was a lot of singing on stage, and the gremlins were all playing in a band. I think it was right. episode nine. And they, yes. and that was something that were, that was like another one that was kind of musically challenging in the sense of, um, and I do have, I do have a little bit experience working with, uh, not so much, well, yes, working with actors who are having to, to do the singing, but also the, the, the challenge sometimes becomes when the acting is already done, the singing is already done. And for mm -hmm. budgetary reasons and scheduling reasons, there's no bringing back the actor. That's, that's what it is. So whatever right. audio is recorded, that's what you got to do. So, and now there's an, and, and the same thing with, um, the animation in some cases where like the gremlins are playing these instruments and you're stuck with it you know how, how do you make that work it's yeah you're, you're just you're stuck with it so it's like okay guys I, i'm gonna replace that trumpet sound with a clarinet because the key's actually playing a clarinet you know but and, and so all these different things where you where timing wise you have to make it work and you have to make it something as we know music works in bars and beats 
and not frames. So, so there's always that kind of challenge. And then, you know, um, so that, that one was, was, was kind of a fun one, but it was also a bit challenging because again, you're stuck with animation, you're stuck with audio. Um, and in terms of the actor or the actress is, is, is scatting or improvising again, how do you make that make musical sense as well? I think I just started watching uh, based on a true story this evening because Clark mentioned that music had popped up and I didn't know that it existed. And I'm watching the first 20 minutes and it's uh, it's grisly right off the bat. It has, uh, I want, let's call it the best in quotation marks stabbing scene I've ever seen in that it is appropriately grueling and brutal. In other words, it's not cool. And then we have a couple of stars who I've seen in comedies, and it's not tongue in cheek. It's 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 advertised as a comedy, but it's not tongue in cheek. But your music is keeping me from worrying that this is going to turn into some like Norwegian, utterly depressing, <laughs> you know, summer, detective show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not that. Yeah. And I th- I'm like, okay, I think I know why she's doing the the multiverse Arrow episodes, and I think I know why she's on Riverdale with all of its various genres to manage. You've got the character L in this picture, and sometimes we think, okay, well. She's, you know, she's the plucky girl whose standard he doesn't meet. That's a standard character in a lot of shows. And so uh, she's going to soften up and he's going to like her. We know that's where it's going to be by episode 10. But honestly, sometimes she betrays him. Grass, tree, dirt. Wow, the countryside is so the same. The city was right to cut this stuff down and put up street signs. Where should we go, Gizmo? He's still mad about Sam? Yeesh, I think I ditched you on the train. Oh, so I'm the bad guy? The odd-eyed almost ate-ate you because Sam was too scared to do anything. Fine, but if you want to reach your ghost city, you gotta work with me. And so she's she's got she goes between being likable and trustworthy and being not those things. And I wondered, did you, with your music have to dance with the fluctuations in her appealingness mm-hmm. as a character. And how did you work that? Because you've got to, you can't hate her, but you've got to be like, hey, you just ran off with, because that's not cool. That's really not cool. And yet- You can't necessarily trust her either. Yeah. Right. You've got, so how, what, was there anything musical you were doing with her? There was definitely a question. There were definitely times I had to ask the the, the showrunners, and I said, so I just want to make sure where are we stay? Are we sticking? Who are we who are we rooting for here? You know, and and do we yeah. still like this person or do we trust right. them? And there, and I I will say that I will say, and on projects like these, in my opinion, this is definitely when you this is this is definitely the questions that I ask showrunners and directors and, and you know whoever whoever's in charge here say hey you, you got to give me some direction here because I'm seeing a rift here. Well, obviously there's there's an obvious rift, but who do we stick with? Who do we stay with? And sometimes they would. In, in some of those situations, a, a lot of it was, but by the time it became like Elle really, well, first of all, in the beginning stages, we didn't trust Elle. It was always Sam. Sure. Huh? How do I know you're not going to knock me out first chance you get? Because Green is going to come after us both, okay? Like it or not, we are on the same side now, and I can get us to this Valley of Jade place. So if you're done worrying, deal? I'm not done worrying, but deal. 
So it's like, so we, we love Sam. We're staying with Sam. We're sticking with the family. We don't trust Elle yet. So I would just stick with Sam. So if Sam was unsure and not trusting and apprehensive and anxious, then, then, then the music is going to be all of those things as well to support him. Cause that's where, that's where we're staying. Um, but, but in those moments where it's like, we okay, now they're friends and now they have their growing friendship and their budding friendship. And now we're rooting for them, all of them. And we kind of love Elle because she's, she's being, she's like our, our grounding force. And like her sarcasm is just so it's refreshing and it's needed and it's grounding and, and it's, and it's, and it's, you know, comedic, it's, it's comedic relief you know because she's just like she's kind of saying the same thing that we're all thinking it's like well you know and i think that so in those moments where it's like she's still we're not really sure or she's still kind of going in a way that we're like hey this isn't you know it it was generally always still with sam it was generally Mm -hmm. always with sam and staying with because he was always the heart and he was always the center and so even when he was unsure that kind of thing so so to answer your question, I would say dramatic. I would say musically, it all still goes back to the drama of it. It's like musically, it's like, again, if Sam was unsure, then the music is unsure. How come they all know where you are? Right, they can smell you. You're like super smelly to them. Huh? We'll never lose them, which means I'm gonna have to fight them. Please tell me there's another way. <gasps> Gizmo? Gizmo! Gizmo! If Sam was totally convinced and convicted, then so then so was the music. I'm not the same Sam anymore. Um, so we become more heroic if he you know. if he felt felt betrayed. The music felt betrayed. Thanks. That kind of thing. Yeah. Then, 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 yeah. Then the music is tracking with. Like, wow, she just did that, you know, kind of thing. And that's, um, you know, and even, even, so it was, it was incidentally, I mean, it, you'd think because it's grandma and secrets, you know, but it didn't always stick with, with gizmo. I mean, it it, it kind of, it it, it shifted. It depended on the the actual scene, but for the most part, it was staying with Sam and staying with his journey of it. Um, So, uh, but, but, but that was, but that was a little bit tricky because obviously we open up with gizmo, we open with gizmo and we, we open with, you know, but, but the gizmo was always like, always about Sam. So it was like, okay, so that, so in, in, in that way, I think it was like, we we could always win because you're, because we can't go against gizmo, (laughs) you know, like ever, you know, audience has to stay. Gizmo hands it off to Sam and then he trusts Sam. So we trust Sam. And then you just stayed. Sam's heart is kind of our carriage that we ride through the film. Yeah. So that's a way to stay honest without tipping your hand, I guess, with, with regard to Elle. Absolutely. 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 Maybe I kind of gravitated more to Elle or, or just found her the most interesting character. But my favorite episode of the series is number four, Don't Drink the Tea, where we really get Elle's backstory. And you did kind of a gorgeous cue for that. Uh, you you had a, 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 was it a solo violinist? Mm-hmm. Uh, Camille Miller? Yeah. Uh, you just, you I mean, you really got the pathos. Oh, wow, thank you. Down, down right for that scene where, where you get the flashback. And I mean, that, I think that pretty permanently endears her to the audience at that point. Moving forward, the the other half of the season, she feels like uh, much more a main character and you're not worried about her so much as seeing her as 
uh, a hero or an ally in some way, even if she's got an edge to her still. But um, yeah, but yeah, there's that that moment there. Like throughout that episode, there's still the concern about her and which way she's going to go. Maybe she's not fully trustworthy because she kind of betrayed him. But, you know, in that moment with that cue you wrote, you really you really kind of um, put the audience on her side, I guess. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I, I that's actually one of my favorite episodes, too. And I I I feel like the writing really did that, too. Right. Because even if you had no music or even if it was just the temp or whatever it was, I mean, the writing is so good with that because, it, because it, you're right. It, it kind of is a turning point. It's the moment where you realize, oh, wow. Yeah, shit, she's come by this. Honestly, like she's she really got, you know, a crap you know, deal and, you know, crap a set of cards in her in hand dealt to her in, in her life. And it, it is kind of this interesting thing that you, you kind of see a little bit in that, in that backstory, but it's, it's, but it also just kind of shows us like how tough she can get. So we can call kind of, I think like relate to that. It's like, oh yeah, she came from this and so she's had this hard shell. So she herself is skeptical. Now, grandpa says it's always safer to give thieves what they want. He might've been giving this advice as a thief, but still. I'm not giving him anything. Because this guy's not a hardworking thief. He's a bandit. And bandits are like rats. Lazy, dirty scavengers. See, this isn't the scary forest, it's the stupid forest. Guess Grandpa wasn't so brave after- It's not even so much where she's like, we don't, we distrust her. It's more like, oh no, no. She distrusts everybody, and so right. her, everything that she does is a reaction to that. But yeah, so I, I, I appreciate that though. It was I, I will say that that was kind of that that first episode, or like that that was the first episode that I actually started to feel, to be honest, even a little bit more artistic in the writing because because I felt like at this point, like that was the first episode for me where it was it wasn't all about action action jackson like it, you know what i'm saying it wasn't about like attack and and peril and danger it was like psychological peril and danger and yeah. it just became this in, in my opinion sort of an opportunity to explore yes there was the horror which i, I love doing horror stuff And Meng Po is like one, just one of my favorite villains of like of all time, you know, and just, but it, it was, again, it was kind of an episode where it was. Well, well, one, it was episodic. It was a contained kind of challenge. It was a contained yes. adventure, a contained yeah. antagonist, um, which I honestly really appreciated. And I feel like the show has a lot of potential for that. It doesn't always have to be the big arc going on. Um, but it also was centered on the characters, not like mayhem happening or you know what e- even plot machinations yavar yeah the big the big concerns it focused yeah. on the character development and relationship development uh throughout it so i think that's why you've you felt like it was a level up in a lot of ways yeah yeah exactly exactly character development and and just and and yeah it was just, and and just kind of the idea i mean we were drugging children. Do, do we all <laughs> right. like oh, this show children were drugged in this? I know it's and it's fantastic, but it but it just it plays into this the human psyche. Just all I mean, yes, there was hallucinogenics were part of this episode, but it but it even just again just the idea of even just the idea of wanting to forget, 
of wanting to like dumb it down and numb it. And, and like, wow, that, these are just like, we, we think they're adult, you know, heavy topics for kids. They're but, super heavy, but it's real. Yeah. But speaking as an adult, <laughs> it made me really connect with it too. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel like I was watching a kiddie show. Yeah. It's, I it's love, I love that about got this some show. Very adult topics. I love that about this show. And I think that, that is it's so rewarding, you know? <laughs> I'm curious about the order you tackled things in. Obviously, if there's anything on screen, you have to tackle that, you know, first, right? Presumably. But in terms of just the straight score, did you like identify kind of climactic or challenging parts to tackle first and then build up earlier cues to that point? Or did you kind of score it chronologically as you went along through the story? In terms of episode per episode, like I only saw the next episode. I didn't, I did, I did, however, read scripts. I read scripts and I actually saw animatics. So you were able to kind of plan your thematic development in advance that way or? I mean, I I should have. Oh, okay. Your theme in um, The Journey Begins. I noticed in the final battle confrontation, there's like a really heroic statement of it that that stands out when when the main character does something heroic. And I didn't know if you were planning to get to that point and start it in a more cutesy, cutesy place before it becomes more grown up or anything like that. Did you? No, I... No, I actually didn't. Okay, well, so I didn't. I didn't architect it in that way. Like I didn't have this. I didn't zoom out totally and have this bird's eye view of, and be like, okay, yes. And now I will dole out all these themes in this place. Um, I mean, I, I I do within an episode kind of. But I think this is actually this is actually I think the challenge of of episodic. I think because you don't always see the bird's eye view. I mean, yes, I did. Again, I did see scripts, but I didn't really know how they were going to change. And some things really did change as, as they went. But I think this is actually, in my opinion, some of the more thrilling and yet kind of really scary things in episodic that I've had, especially with superhero shows that I've done. I think this is actually, in my opinion, some of the more thrilling and yet kind of really scary things in episodic that I've had, especially with superhero shows that I've done, where you God, you hope to God that your theme will work in like a heroic setting, in a, in an emotional setting. Can you truncate it? Can you elongate it? Can you amalgamate it? Can you do it? You know, all of those things. And you really, really hope that that the theme that you wrote for that one character, where you were really, really inspired by that thing. Will that work? You hope it works later. Yeah, you hope it works later.
and and sometimes I'll run it through some of my tests. Like, can I slow it down? Does that work emotionally? But, but sometimes you just, you know, for, for me and, and maybe other composers are really, really good at this. And I, I know some that are really are. But for me, I, I got to feel it in the moment. So in the, in the case of Gremlins, in the case of what you're talking about, too, it really did work out that way. It was like, I'm just going to, I mean, in some cases, I felt like I'm just going to like, I'm just going to shove that in there and really, really hope it works. And other times I'm like, no, that, that really works. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, you know, th- there's, there's so many ways to explore. It's almost like a Rubik's cube almost where it's like, you take a look at this thing and you're like, okay, this is, these are the colors. These, ha- these are how they go. That this is all orange, this is all red, this is all blue. When you mix it up, does it actually work? Does it make sense? This is actually a terrible example now that I'm saying, <laughs> but just in, in the terms of just looking at it, looking at it as something that you, that you created and written does it work will it work sometimes i don't think it does sometimes i, I think I've, I've i've sort of backed myself into corners but in this case I, and i have to say i spent much of the season much of season one fearing that i had backed myself into corner that i hadn't given myself enough fabric to you know that, that i had to 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 create and so I had sort of like it was it was too small I cut too small and I and I feared that and um I will admit that especially to composers who do this or to people you know that I'm glad I'm glad it sounds like it worked and, and I do feel like I was able to make it work towards the end because I feel like I learned ways to do it but I felt like I had I spent part of the for the first part of the season thinking that I had actually not given myself enough to work with on that particular theme. And then I think it was episode five with, with the with the Jiangxi that I had like there was some sort of uh, heroic thing where they're where they're they're um, putting the putting the talis right. talismans or whatever they're called on the onto the onto the foreheads. And there was a moment where I was like oh, okay I, that actually that actually really works. You know, and then anyway, so so all, all this to say is very, very long way of saying and kind of repeating myself that it's it wasn't planned, but it's always in the back of my mind. It's always in the back of my mind in terms of when you, when I create something, when a theme is created, is it going to hit all of those four quadrant points? Is it going to hit that heroic heroicism and that emotional and and that maybe adventure and then you know some something else you know and. and you know, mysterious or something like that. And so that, that's always the plan. And I always write with that in mind. But thank goodness it works sometimes because it's not always. This is something that Jerry Goldsmith would, would sometimes do. And I mean, he had to learn how to work fast. I feel like for you, it worked out similarly where you came up with some of this thematic material intuitively and it seemed right at the time and then it worked out in the end. It, it, rather than, you know, uh, figuring out all the structure and, and architecture in advance. I don't think that's always necessary. Sometimes, you know, you're, uh, I mean, George R. R. Martin has talked about like, uh, some authors are architects and some authors are gardeners. And then there's people who are a combination mm-hmm. and, and in between. And so it, it sounds like you're saying you're more of a gardener on this one. Uh, and you, you started mm-hmm. out with these seeds that you grew and you didn't necessarily know how they were going to turn out. Um, but that's, that's almost yeah. more exciting in a way. I think it's exciting. It's also terrifying, right? Because it, because that, that was one of the big things that they're like, we want themes, we want thematic material, we want a through line. And, and I, I had spent several months creating themes and creating stuff. And, and when I, and a lot of composers do this, so I, I'm, I'm not going to be that, you know, novel in, in my approach to this, but a lot, you know, I, I do approach, especially when I have the time and I did have the time on this, it was, a, it, was it was kind of a long, longer runway and, and 
you know, I'll create a suite of things where it's away from picture, which I didn't have any picture at the time. I, I had a couple of animatics and, and definitely some mm-hmm. scripts, but scripts always look like one thing in my head. And then you see the color and you see the storyboard and you're like, you see the actors, you hear the actors, and it's completely different and it becomes something else entirely. But I did spend a long time writing a suite of themes and I thought, okay, it's going to be this theme and this fam- grandpa's going to have his own theme and the journey and this, and, and, and there were, there were five or six or seven themes that I was like going to do. And then when I really got down to it, I think there was really only, um, the Valley of Jade actually it wasn't even the Valley of Jade theme, but it was the opening. It was the very, very opening. The first thing that you hear. the only thing that, that stuck and the journey theme and there was a little bit of grandpa's there was a, but everything else was kind of done based on like what i'm thinking and what i'm feeling um which is which is scary to do because i because i i mean i i honestly feel that i'm a composer first you know like first and foremost i'm a composer i write music i create music but then i'm a film composer a film or television or you know, media composer and because to me it's it there's a craft and skill of of actually wielding music or wielding an orchestra or, or crafting you know synt- musical syntax um but then there's the whole separate thing of being able to work that into a story scenario something that has an arc has an exposition has a climax and then you have notes and you have what other people's visions are and you need to incorporate that and then just the longevity of these projects sometimes too. So I, I, I say all that. It's like, yes, Gardner, I would say that there's always the intent to architect, but I think that I'm I'm probably more of that Gardner in, in that. I think you're right. I think in that aspect, I, I, I feel I react, but there has to be, there's a reaction also in a, in a, in a, in a business mindset in a commerce mindset in, in a controlled mindset and saying, okay, I also have to, there also has to be some set parameters. So there's, there's, there's just all kinds of opportunity to play, but those, those tools are set within that sandbox. Like they cannot go out of that sandbox. Um, and that, that to me, that building the sandbox, building the tools, building the, the harmonic language, that's, that's the architect part and the rest of it is reacting. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's a great, I have to look that up. That's a great um, analogy. I like that. <laughs> This mystifies me. I get to watch movies that have scores. And in fact, when I when I edit something, I have to lay down a temp track just as an editor. Mm. And I've edited documentaries and short films for, for friends mostly. And it always amazed me that, you know, Goldsmith didn't like temp tracks because generally it was the temp track love you talked about that you're not getting from your guys on Gremlins, which makes sense because Joe and Marshall, his editor, when they did temp tracks on the burbs and whatnot – they didn't do temp tracks to say, make it sound like this. They did temp tracks to say, we don't know how to say this with words, but we want the scene to feel like this. And so it was educational, but he really preferred seeing them blank. Mm. And I, I don't know how you, what your preference is. Cause to me, if I saw a movie blank, I don't know that I would say, aha, I know what this emotion is supposed to be. Like, I think I would have to put I, – like, I take silent films and I rescore them because I can't stand the way they're scored yeah. so that I can watch them and enjoy them. <laughs> but I can't just turn the sound down. Yeah. You know? But you're – do you see things just music blank and still react emotionally? And Because uh, that – for me, that's like a – that's like magic. I don't think I can do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I if I saw a blank, I I I would be both intimidated and and excited. I, I, it would be a spattering of both. I mean, I, I don't feel like we ever get to choose, so I think I've become accustomed to rolling with whichever whatever they give. I think the Gremlins is the is the perfect case. It's like the best case scenario where it's like, hey, there's something in there. And, but we're not married to it, you right, know, and, right. and, they, and they don't love it or hate it either way. And that's good because sometimes you get temp and they're like, we hate the temp. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful, actually. You know what I'm saying? Because right. it's like, why, you know, but it, it, it's, inter- it's interesting because because generally in my experience, and I apologize in advance for saying this, but generally in my experience, editors are not great at temp. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're, it, they're, they're maybe fine with, um, or I have noticed some attempts that I get that were put in by editors, it's been fine in terms of pacing. Like it, it gave you like the pacing of things, but it didn't necessarily give the, in my opinion, the right emotion or at least the emotion that was really working for me. And so, so sometimes spotting is always different. It was more about tempo rather than emotions. Yeah. But I, 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 I will say this, whether or not there's temp, I will turn that off as soon as I can, as soon as I can, because because well, one, I just I don't want to be too influenced by it. I don't want to accidentally copy something. That's that's probably not what really what I'm most concerned about. But I, there is a part of me that I don't want to be too influenced by it. That said, I'm not an idiot. You know, sometimes time is of the essence, and sometimes it's like I need to know what they're thinking and what what they might think works, or I need to know what they're thinking is doesn't work, kind of thing. But I I also love hate the temp situation. I think, I think it can be a useful tool for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it can be a nasty crutch and, and, and to, to the point where it's becomes, it becomes uh, hampering and, and, and it just, it becomes less of a tool and just in something that becomes more of like a, just like a, a barrier. It just, or something. It just, yeah. And it just, it, it's oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's oppressive, you know, the whole thing. So you mentioned uh, that there was some Jerry Goldsmith music on the temp track. Was that uh, from the Gremlins movies or was there other stuff in there as well? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't always like, you know, I, Shazam has become like one of my best friends when I'm trying to figure <laughs> out like, who do I, who do I mimic? <laughs> no, I, I, I can't say for sure which ones, but I will say that there were a lot of like, there were a lot of picture Easter eggs in the sense of like, we, we they you know, they would even say, this is our you know, gremlins in the kitchen, you know, the, the famous, that, that famous scene with, with them all, you know, the grounding up, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. This is our, um, yeah. in, there, this is our Indiana Jones type of throat callback or something like that. So there were, which I know was, was not Goldsmith, but just in terms of like Amblin and Spielberg and that, that kind of thing, there were those kinds of East, picture Easter eggs. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes I would go, I would go and listen to some of those scenes and be like, "Is there anything I can like learn from those scenes?" And su- surprisingly, there there wasn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say there wasn't, but surprisingly, there was like, "Oh, okay, well, that's that was actually not quite as active as I was thinking of going," <laughs> kind kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I, I but but I I feel like the influence for me was mostly just permission, like permission to do to just to to do kind of you know anything and and. That I that I might have been thinking in, or feeling at the time, and, and if I ever went too too much overboard or didn't go far enough, they would obviously Z and Brendan would would just kind of rein me in or or say, "Hey, go go even further." In fact, I was never reined in. If anything, I would say, "Hey, can you go a little further with this?" You know, or can you go a little further with the joke? But but I but again, like I know we mentioned the burbs and how it's just like and how in that opening title, you know, he Goldsmith had like taken that um, the dog bark. I forget the dog's name. It was like. Sweetie, or <laughs> I just can think of like the yeah the dog bark and how it was just like it was in there and then it was all of a sudden in the score and I feel like that's to me that's almost like permission 
to 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 really push some push some shit, you know, let like loose. push some boundaries. Yeah, like let loose and be like, well, what what hilarious kind of thing can, can we do? The audience is already here. How can we pull them in even more? So yeah, I, I feel like the, it might not have been any single or one thing of Goldsmith's in in, in the temp per se. There were a couple of John Williams esque, not not esque, but there was a couple of John Williams things where it was um, there was even uh, some Harry Potter references. Sure. You know, I, I do I do not tout myself as a <laughs> as a John Williams as the go to you know for that kind of score. But I mean, look, I'll I'll do my best and we'll see what happens. But it's um, anyway. But yeah, there were there were, it was definitely an opportunity to to try those things, to do those things, and and to just see 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 where my own creativity took me uh certainly within like the parameters that they were setting which was for them i mean if we've seen the show it's, it's anything kind of anything goes yeah speaking of musical easter eggs i was curious if there are any goldsmith easter eggs in your score for for the new gremlin series uh besides obviously gizmo's melody but i i think there were like parts where i heard some um you know, wicked, like uh, mischievous violins and and that kind of thing that was maybe inspired from the original score. Were there any sort of little sly references that you think of off the top of your head? I have to admit, and I and I wish the story was better, and I wish I was just smarter that I would have like gone and done that. I I, I will admit that I I have not, but I but I I will say that I over the course of and and we're we're currently in production for season 2 so over the course of season 2 like season 1 and and then season 2 i i've wanted to put like i've been putting a little bit more back into of like gizmo's of the buy and working that in but unfortunately i don't have a good story on that because i i i kind of put blinders on i mean i cuz i they they gave me all the permission in the world to to pull from what i wanted to pull from but they really also said we really are trying to create our own thing here. So feel free to kind of do what you're thinking. Right. So you didn't feel obligated to play the the gremlins rag when the gremlins were wreaking havoc. I mean, they wanted it for the main title, but it, I mean, it's, I noticed that it's not within the underscore and there are times it could have been, it's but you not. came up with your own material. I and, wanted to. Yeah, we're not, and I, we're and not lamenting always... that, Sherry. No, no, yeah, no, 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 I appreciate that. Well, I, I I wanted to, but it was it was it was actually also out of respect too for what everybody was asking. It's like, okay, you know what? I also wanted to do what they're asking and kind of create our own thing. But hopefully, it's you know, I did hear, I did see some of the comments, read some of the comments of, of, of when the show was being announced or when it was about to come out. I think somebody had posted, uh, you know, oh, there better be some Jerry Goldsmith in there, you know, <laughs> and I and I. I wanted to engage, but I've always been told never engage. You never engage on social media if it's anything negative, you know. <laughs> yes, so, that's right. It's a yeah, battle. so I, I, exactly. So I just liked it. That's all I did. I just liked it. <laughs> but I wanted to say, I wanted to like it and say, and some Sherry Chung, you know. But I was like, let's. I'll let the fans. I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have used exactly the right amount because the key would be if there's a Gremlins, if there's a ten episode Gremlin series and Gizmo's theme is never heard. People would be like, oh, come on. You know, that would be like making a Star Wars movie and never hearing the Force theme at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But you know what, Sherry? If you if you ever get and listen to the Gremlins CD and then listen to Gremlins 2, wildly different scores. I mean, there's no reason to – like even Jerry – Super, super different. Yeah. When Jerry did Gremlins 2, he didn't ape Gremlins 1. So why should you? It, it should be a new thing. And I think it very much is. 
uh, in, 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 in the best ways. There's no sense of you abandoning Jerry in the dust. It feels like you've just built on him and, and done what the show you were scoring yeah. needed. It really, it was really such a sweet, lovely. That's the greatest compliment. I appreciate that. I'm glad you're doing yet more Secrets of the Mogwai or whatever it's going to be called. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> if, if there was another composer, I'd be like, well, okay. But I, I sort of like the fact that you are part of that team makes me think, well, I'm probably just going to like it. You know, because the the music is so much a part of how that series felt to me. And it's just, I, I did not expect it to feel, as I said before, so warm-hearted and, and friendly. I didn't expect that to carry That's over. Because so that didn't carry over in Gremlins 2. It's there in spots. But no, Gremlins 2 is just yeah. a total, it's airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Your score is really resonating with a lot of older film music fans because you've kind of brought back a classic 80s orchestral adventure sound that it's kind of rare these days, you know, at least in Hollywood production. I, I want to share some some reactions from a couple people who aren't here on this call right now. But um, first of all, uh, our colleague at the Goldsmith Odyssey, Jens, declared this score one of his 10 favorite of the year so far. Um, and he, he listens to a lot of new film music. Oh man, that's so great. That's so great. And I think I mentioned my wife, Francesca. She was just captivated from the first minute, minute and a half of the show. She, she told me, I have to um, ask you when you get around to an expanded edition, please make sure all the opening music is on there. Cause she, I mean, I think anything to any of the really pretty uh, Valley of Jade stuff, she just loves all of the magical, yeah. that theme. Well, you mentioned that you're um, in production on season two. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you're at in that process and maybe a little bit about what we can expect musically in the next season? So I can say that I'm I'm in like script reading, animatics, seeing some things, working on some things at the moment, working on some themes. Um, I know that the location changes, although hmm. not in such a way that I think it's going to be. Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's in a way that like it makes sense. Okay. It makes sense. But we don't. But we don't just leave. We don't leave the Chinese culture entirely. It's still very much that. But we just we get a little bit more backstory on Grandpa. Uh, we get a little bit, you know, which which and and. I, that that yeah that's really great and we have some new characters coming in obviously as we would all need but but everyone's still intact everyone's still there we're still getting i think all of the um and it's something that i think is actually really really cool and i read this in a review once and i hadn't even realized it but i think it's so true and, it, and i think it carries over from what i can tell in whatever's happening in season two the things of like the four through all the rules of the of the of the mogwai and then even the fourth one they're not just they're not just for show. It's like it, those rules are incorporated in the story. It's not like, oh, we make, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we take creative licenses and say, oh, okay, well, we can't get. It's them. really lore that that yeah is maintained. It, it really is, and it's and in some cases, I think it, it's being used, you know, it, like again as part of the story to enhance the journey, enhance the story, and I I, I think that that's really exciting, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it, they just. It, it, it's the smartest. It's the smartest show I think, <laughs> like that I've seen in a long time, and certainly that I've, I've, you know, one of the smartest that I've, I've, I've worked on, and it's, it's really exciting. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're continuing on with it and staying true. You know, I think while still doing what they started, which is expanding upon the stories and expanding upon the, the, you know, what, what they've already 
had built upon and established. Are there many opportunities for uh, new thematic ideas in the upcoming season? Yes. Ah. Very cool. Yes. Oh, and in good. fact, I will say, I think creatively now that, you know, like now that I've been able to like kind of put, you know, you know, you, you kind of get your, you, you get your, your sea legs on a project, yeah. Yeah. you know, and now I can, I feel like I can, I can, I can push it a little bit more and, I'm like, you know, it's like, like stand up a little straighter <laughs> and try to like, like try, try new things. Right. And so, um, and now, and now with the, um, you know, just the positive feedback that the show has gotten, it, it, you know, it gives us all like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I can do this. I can do it. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. So hopefully it's, hope, hopefully they're thinking that I'm hoping they're thinking that as well, but it's, yeah, I'm super excited. On the subject of craft, I was wondering, my, I think my biggest experiences with your music before Gremlins, I'm a Flash guy in terms of the Arrowverse. That was my show of choice because it's just so charming and likable. And I did give Riverdale a couple of seasons too before I lost access to it. And Riverdale, you've got, it's definitely got its own tone. Also got mystery thriller. And mysticism. Comedy. Biker gang stuff. Politics. There's a big mix there. But then within the Arrowverse, you got the episodes that were you got their three multiverse miniseries, which means you're throwing in, I believe I heard the 1989 Batman theme and Robert Wall was on screen. Now the entire multiverse is about to come under attack. There is a malevolent force at work, one driven by a singular goal. I hope you're watching, big guy. Some Smallville. him or the buff guy on the paper towel rolls hello hi. hi you are clark kent right can i help you uh yeah hopefully <laughs> um so uh this universe and an infinite number of others is in the process of blinking out of existence and you've got all of i mean those seem like wonderful training grounds for what you just described which is things are being thrown at me and i have to i have to take my garden so to speak yeah Where, does that does do are does am i am i anywhere near right about that because those seem like ideal places to grow exactly the skills you're talking about here that you use in place of because it's got to be impossible to plan a three and a half hour movie that comes at you in 10 half-hour chunks. I mean, you can't really plot that because Gremlins is different than Riverdale. It is one big story. Yes. 
Whereas Riverdale, it'll have an arc, but it's still each episode is its own episode more. And the same with the Flash movies. Yes. So there was a question in there somewhere, but I can't find it. <laughs> no, I got you. I, I got you. I, yeah, I, and 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 I I will I will attribute all of all of what you're talking about in terms of in terms of the word architect. It's funny that we that that came up because I will attribute all of that to to Blake Neely, who's who's my mentor. And and at one point in, in grad school, he was my teacher as well, which is kind of how he became a mentor. And then when he started, uh, he, as we know, he started Arrow and Flash. He started. He began the Arrowverse, and when he got Supergirl. And another, uh, also Greg Berlanti show, but not a superhero, not not a, a DC superhero show called Blind Spot. We do think that Karen was using that to vet potential clients every time they opened the locker, making sure they weren't cops. Until Roman warned him the dead drop had been compromised. All right, you think you can reconstruct where this camera was transmitting to? I can certainly try. Do or do not. There is no try. Hi, Dad. Wait, what? That's Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, also known as my father. So, Dad, I would like you to meet. I'm Kurt, Kurt Weller, sir. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Wait. He was like, I need to staff up. I need to take. I, so, so he brought me on to help him, you know, start some of and Riverdale uh, to start some of these shows with him. But he he is a true architect of all of that sound of the of the DC, CW superhero. Uh, sound, you know, and 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 him solely, and and I, I feel like you're totally right because that's where I learned a lot of this idea of the of the term architect, but even of just and which which was a word that we use. He's like, I'm. He's like, we're gonna watch all of these uh, something that they were five part episodes or five episode. Yeah, five part five part sort of arcs and stuff. Arcs. There you go. Your miniseries for the Flash definitely were. They were four and five crossing four yes. different series. A hundred percent. So we we would watch them together, and then there was a lot of uh, thinking and assigning, and and, and, Bla- and and really Blake did it. He said, "Okay, I'm going to be taking this storyline. Sherry, you take this storyline." We had two other writers that were working with him, and they take those stories. But but it was all it was all. A very t- t- together. I mean, this is why our names are, are on there, which is very generous of him because, you know, but he, but it was his design. It was a lot of his themes. And and what was really cool about that is that, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, there, I'm working on it with a character like reverse flash. I'm like, who, what, what's reverse flash's theme? Because I wasn't really on those shows. Sure. So I would just, and we were all in the same building. So I would just chat over to whoever. And I was like, who did the reverse flash theme? Somebody came, and so somebody would write it quickly down on paper or say, Hey, go on to our iTunes library and listen to this cue and this cue, and you're gonna hear reverse flash theme. Like, got it, I got you. And then I would do this thing. We were all in the same building, we were all working on the same identical rigs. We were all like having these powwow meetings and, and talking about this and, and say, you know, hey, I was thinking about a lot, you know, and hey, what's what's Batwoman's theme? Okay, I'll tell you this. And what's it was it was a really, really cool collaboration where it's like we're all in our rooms working, but but you're totally right. The wow. the the whole the whole there had to be i mean on projects like those there has to be a leader you know and at that time that leader was blake but there were like captains if you will you know like lieutenants if you will and and we each had our own quadrant of thing that we had to really you know put together and there's there's a new responsibility there and accountability and also because i didn't work on arrow or flash as those shows but i worked on supergirl and legends of tomorrow and batwoman and so when going back to those shows i it's like Okay, hey guys, talk to me about Flash or Arrow. What's been happening? Because I, because I'll admit, I, I wasn't always aware. And hey, Sherry, tell us about Batwoman. What's going on with Batwoman? Well, here's, well, here's, you know. So it was, it was a really big. So to answer your question, yeah, they were huge, sort of Herculean 
projects and efforts that, that were that were spearheaded by Blake. So I will say, 100%. That's where I learned a lot of that zooming out, that bird's eye view, that whole thing of like we're gonna need the, the audience is gonna need that aha moment. They're gonna need that musical aha moment. So we would we would look at those the, the biggest battle scenes, and some of those battle scenes were like 10, 15 minutes long. Right. So we would we would start to split them up. We would start to split them up and say, hey, okay, okay, I'm passing passing the torch to you. And there were times where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to start my battle scene. Or I would start my battle scene, but I would do more of the, the middle section. And I would wait to see what the got, what you know, who the composer before me, or how the how the cue before me, or how the section of the music was gonna was gonna end. So I figured out how to get into mine, oh, that's and then the guy after me, he would make sure, like, I'd, okay, I'm gonna finish mine, or how do you want to start? Do you need to come slamming it? peter out or like you know that kind of thing what key do you want to start in? okay we guys we've been in a minor for way too long so, so <laughs> you know you, so it's, it's all it was always a matter of you can do whatever you want within your within your section but we all had to agree on how we were going to link up and daisy chain the whole thing and it was it was just really cool and again being in the same building and and being on identical rigs and and being people that just had worked together for a long time these were not random people these we, we you know at the time we had been you know, put together by Blake. Colleagues and stuff? Yeah, colleagues and, and peers and, and, and 100%. And then there were definitely times, to, to your point, David, too, where we had to like pull in John Williams theme or, or Elfman's theme on something or, you know, and, and there was always that kind of because um, of the Easter eggs, they were all over those shows. Yeah, I know. It's so great. It was it was super fun. Your Flash met Flash from the movie we just got this summer. He was in I know the television series three years ago. I know. It was it was it was really cool, and I think yeah. And there, that segueing that's that's you having to having to come in when one of your singers hasn't got the gizmo theme quite right, and you've got to change your key to pull into your. Yeah. There's that. There's all of that segue work. That sounds brilliant. That sounds. It sounds like it was exciting for you too. It was super exciting, and you know, and I feel like we're all everyone's like this, right? It, something is exciting when it challenges you, but you still feel equipped to do it. Like it's new. Yes. But I'm like. Oh, no, no, but I, I feel like I was prepared for this, like the ether somehow or just, you know, because again, the, the things that I did, the things that I've done this year, I could never have done maybe two years ago had I not gone through XYZ. And I, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing about the future. I'm hoping there's a gig out there too, that I get projects where I'm just like, oh, wow, I, gosh, I would never have been able to, to feel successful at that or, or, or feel creatively, you know, like, like, like a true contributor had I not done that, you know, this project or that project before. So a hundred percent, it's like, I think all of that experience paved the way for an opportunity like Gremlins and, and hopefully Gremlins is paving the way for something for it. But yeah. Can you tell us about any other projects you have 
coming up in the near future? I have um, completely different from all of this on Netflix on July 27th. So I guess in 10 days, um, uh, there's a a movie called Happiness for Beginners. And it's a little bit of a a rom-com. It's based on the book based on a book by Catherine Center that has the same name, Happiness for Beginners. And in it's a, it's actually the second film I've scored based on a book by Catherine Center, the first one being The Lost Husband, and this one, but this one's called Happiness for Beginners. Uh, same director that I've worked with, Vicki White. And so that has Ellie Kemper and Luke Grimes and um, just a fun cast of characters. And it's just, it's, it's a feel-good type of type of thing, a little bit different for Ellie Kemper. I think it's not not quite as a comedic role as she normally does. And so just, just, just a nice, again, a total departure. Good. I want to see her do something else. I know, and she, yeah. you know, she's fantastic in it, and it's really great. And because she's got such a big heart on screen, but she's usually playing very cartoony characters, which is fine. She's great, but you kind of look and you say, it's, "It's like well, I want to watch the Robin Williams change happen," you know, where you start to see her heart. Yes, yes, very much so, very much so. And so, so that's that's coming out in, in just in I guess a t- in ten days or so, um, barring anything that's happening with our with our strike right. over here. But um, so you probably won't see a whole lot of publicity for it, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, and then sometime in the fall, and I don't actually have a a date, uh, you know, a release date for it. But um, I actually did a, again completely different. I did a I did a uh, a show on NBC for NBC called Found, and it's it's a live action uh, fiction, but it, but it's based on um, it's based on missing children, missing people, but specifically in like the you know like the under underprivileged communities like the communities that you're just that people aren't gonna pay attention to people aren't gonna look for these people yeah. kind of thing yeah exactly so so um and that's a that's a, that's just it's, it's a series it's a very much a procedural type of thing so I'm just just kind of running the whole the whole gamut um and I'm working on a couple of other indie things at the moment that don't have any that, that they're a little bit nebulous at the moment so those aren't as interesting to talk about it right as, as of now but but those are the two things for sure that are coming out at some point. Yeah, just I, I, it's, I like to keep like change it up, you know, just change it up with different things. I was going to ask, do you like the variety? Because that's you know, again, yeah. our you know our powder familius of the show, so to speak. Uh, I mean, it, variety was the name of the game. He rarely did one score after another that sounded yeah. like the last one he did, and it seemed to keep him fresh. Yeah, I, I like the variety. It's nice that you're not getting pigeonholed and only doing certain things. I, you know, and, and I, yeah, I, 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 I see it that way too. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of great in that way where it's it, there's just all, all this a smattering of things i like episodic i lo- i like also like film i, I wouldn't want to do just one or just the other i think there's a lot of really great opportunity and, and animation is now something that's new on my radar so now i'm kind of hooked on this too so now i'm just like oh let's do some of that too <laughs> but yeah i like doing the smattering i don't like to i don't i don't want to do just the same thing um i feel like there's a need create creatively to, to branch it out and i'm very much inspired by what i see and the stories so it's good, yeah. If, if left to my own devices, I'd probably just write the same thing over and over and over in incarnations of that. So, I think it's important to to branch out. I like it. I, I I have to say I loved this score so much, and if you have any way to release more of it in the future, this I, is a really short album. Okay, so you know what I I love you and hate you for saying that because <laughs> I, no, no, but literally I looked at it when it came when it, and I was like, okay, I got twenty tracks, you know, because they they always ask for limits. They do ask for limits on things, but I was like. There's only like 36 minutes. I wrote 
probably 200 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But it was me to put it together. This is completely my fault. So I say that I actually agree with you. And I'm like, volume two? Volume two. The, you yeah, know, here, you, you gave you gave Kung Fu a 78 minute album. And this one is um, an amazing score. And frankly, like while watching the show, like cue after cue, I'm like, why is that so low in the mix? I want to hear more of that. Yeah. And oh, there's well, not a single, there's, <laughs> yeah, but there's not a single bad cue in the whole thing. And there was just cue after cue that I'm like, oh man, that's mixed so low. I really hope it's on the album, but the album ended up only being under 40 minutes. You are, you are literally, I mean, li- li- I, because this is going out to the public, I won't, I won't, I won't bash anything, but you and I are on the same page about the mix. I had nothing to do with that. That was a very, that was a shocker. But I will take full on responsibility for the brevity of, <laughs> of the album. I don't know what I was thinking. I, for some reason I thought, oh, this, this plays really nicely instead of making it longer. So I, I'm going to push for volume two. Um, Please. Uh, but I, I really appreciate that because there's, I, I'm so, I'm so proud of it. I, and I, and I don't say that in a bragging way. I say it with all humility. I'm so proud of the show. I'm so proud of the score. And I'm, and it is not often that composers are even getting the opportunity to work with live orchestra, let alone mm-hmm. with the size of an orchestra, let alone to do something that is like steeped in tradition and saying, we want traditional orchestra. We want to do this. Right. And, so, and you're getting to meld a full orchestra with your Chinese heritage. And like, this is really a special score. Like, like sometimes composers will get a big orchestra and a big budget like on uh, on Star Trek The Next Generation, but then they're told, we don't want recurring themes. Your music has to stay in the background. Like you weren't even, you weren't told that. You were given the budget for an orchestra and for specialized instruments to for the setting. And you were told, please write, you know, feel free to write themes. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's such a sweeping, gorgeous score. I just want more of it. So <laughs> like so I would much. buy a complete score album, to be honest. Yeah, like there's not a signed. single bad cue uh, watching in the show. Like there's not a single cue I would want to skip on the album. That's amazing. Thank you so much for saying that. That that honestly that means a lot because I I, I won't lie. I I worry if the the score can be heard. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is all the more reason to make sure it's on album so that uh, us crazy film score fans can hear it. And I'm just gonna say go go look up Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, Nami Melamad, she wrote a score for that and it's an animated show and it's like 10 episodes a season and I think she put every cue out on Spotify <laughs> like it's like an, a five or six hour album so and the, the Lord amazing. of the Rings on Amazon was similar wasn't it yeah you know yeah, that yeah, was, like seven hour Bear McCreary yeah. still pared it down by episode. He didn't put like literally every complete cue, but he made like a 50 minute album for each episode. Something crazy. That, I mean, that's that's, that's unheard of for television. But there's a standard you can you can you can beat the old album standard or you can meet the new album standard. Either way, you're fine. But it's certainly the door should be open for you. I, I appreciate that. I you you guys are giving seriously giving me uh a, a, like a fire under my butt to like to 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 really just ask for it because honestly it, it's just usually we just have to ask. why not why not exactly and if you can't do it now you'll you'll never get the you probably won't get the chance to in the future like strike strike while you can and I know. there are people like us out there eager to hear it trust me I appreciate it. well I'm trying pushing for a vinyl too I'm like come on guys. oh there you go. <laughs> I know you've got to, to run momentarily, and, and we could talk to you for ages and ages and ages. Thank you so much. And we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. It was a great meeting you. Thanks for talking so much.